We shall meet, but we shall miss him. There will be one vacant chair. We shall linger to caress him while we breathe our evening prayer. When a year ago we gathered, joy. Welcome was to here. the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode, I read through around 100 pages of the works of great American writers while giving my thoughts about it. So thanks for joining us. If you're new here, uh, we're currently looking at the works of Louisa May Alcott. And we have just completed our examination of Little Men. And now we'll be moving on to the final book in the Little Women trilogy called Joe's Boys. Joe's Boys picks up around 10 years after the end of Little Men. Little Men covered maybe about six months in the life of our characters. Joe's Boys covers about a year, but it picks up 10 years later, so we can kind of get the full view of how these characters that we met in Little Men, and some who we met in Little Women, how they ended up. Um, the themes in this book are much more serious and much more adult, as you might expect, because our characters are adults by this point they're all in their most of the main characters from little men were are in their early 20s by the time joy's boys set uh starts up many of them have gone off and began their lives doing all kinds of exciting things and three characters in particular are the centerpiece of of joe's boys but we also get kind of check in with all the other characters the ones who don't voyage out as far at, from Plumfield as some of the others, see how they end up, see how their romantic lives end up. And this kind of book gives a lot of closure to the characters we met in Little Women and Little Men. Um, it's If I was to have a criticism of the novel, it would be that the novel does seem to be a lot of catch up and clean up and tie in bow ties on a lot of characters. Some chapters really are devoted to individual characters and really ending their story. And there's not, like Little Men, there's not much of a plot. I think Little Women was a little bit more contained in that, in, in how we kind of follow these characters. These, I mean, where the plot really rests in this novel is the crisis faced by, by three of our main protagonists. But besides for that, there's really not much that, that really happens there's not like a plot so much it's just more like like Alcott's other works it's a lot more episodic and vignettes and, and stepping into people's lives at various times um, still it's, it's rather enjoyable and in some ways I like it a lot more than than Little Men Little Women is, is certainly the best of the three but I like Joe's Boys a little bit better than Little Men because it does deal with some more adult themes and it's a little bit more serious at times and I think that is interesting now. Now I think it's a little quaint in how and Alcott, in a sense, idealizes the experience these boys had at Plumfield. But uh, nevertheless, and the especially the fact how they keep coming back to dreaming of Plumfield and thinking about that and the lessons they learn, they really start to affect their lives and lead them to make the right decisions. So, but there are characters here who 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 don't end up well, and I, I think that's quite brave of her. And and she does in this way show some of the limits of of that education in the same way she faced in Little Women that that some people are going to be left behind. 
So Joe's Boys was written in 1886, which was just two years before Alcott's death. It's her last novel. It's, it's not her last writing, but she continued to pursue writing occasionally. But she just got too ill and she either died of cancer or some autoimmune disease, I've heard. But anyways, um, she, she had a full life as a writer. And with her, so she died in 1888. So about 50 years, she was... 50 45 years she was pretty she was an active writer um now for now we're just looking at the little women trilogy there the library of america which i rely on for my source material did publish a second volume of elcott's writings which i don't yet have a hold of it was one of the more recent publications so i'll have to go back at some point and, and look at those but uh this this will be all for elcott for now now, we need to remember that Little Women trilogy is only a small part of Alcott's massive con contribution to American literature. So while we're putting to this end of the series, and in this and the next episode, we will be returning to Alcott at some point. So as I said, Joe's Boys is sent ten years, set 10 years after Little Men and deals with the arrival of these alumni of Plumfield who return basically for a summer vacation. And that's where it's set. So it's kind of set between two, two vacations two summer vacations and it's really in the winter that the real crises happen to some of our major characters so what basically the plot if there is a plot to the novel it's that these alumni especially emile dan and nat uh, are at plumfield well these emile and nat emile and dan return i think nat's still there but then those three all venture off oh and by the way if you don't know those characters uh i maybe i will go over them in a minute but you know, you might want to go listen to what I've said about Little Men in the previous three episodes because that introduces these characters. Essentially, Nat and Dan were kind of street kids who got recruited by Joe and Mr. Bear to study at Plumfield. Dan is much more troubled by violence and rule-breaking, and he's much more likely the character we're going to expect to kind of fall off the wagon. Nat is a little more disciplined and he's a musician but he also was raised on the streets and he lied a lot and so they both had problems they had to overcome to really settle into to plumfield emil is bear's nephew and he's mr bear's nephew and joe and, and mr bear are raising them him alongside their own kids and and he wants to be a sailor and by this point he's he's been a sailor for a while and he's ready to be an officer on his first voyage so um, Dan has kind of gone out west and he's kind of adventured actually all over the world and Nat is preparing for uh, his education in in Germany where he's going to use the references that he gets from Mr. Bear to pursue his musical training in Europe so after coming to Plumfield, they all kind of set off on their own way and go on various adventures. They resolve major crises using, in part, the lessons they learned from their schoolings under Mr. and Mrs. Bear. And, and then finally, they return, and we see kind of how our characters end, out, end up. Now, actually, most of the bulk of this novel are just the other characters on Plumfield. So we, we check in with Lori, we check in a little with Amy, we check in with Daisy, we check in with, well, Nan, uh, Naughty Nan. I can't believe I forgot her. Um, and, you know, and all the different kids, uh, Goldilocks, uh, Bess, uh, who is his Lori and Amy's kid. If you remember those characters from Little Women, they they all kind of get their storyline gets kind of wrapped up a little bit.
So I'm not going to go through this chapter by chapter, but I'm going to kind of summarize the plot uh, as, as much as there is one or the, the main events in, in this novel. So as the novel opens, Joe is talking with her sister Meg about the changes going on at Plumfield. And our narrator participates in this a little bit, Alcott, I guess. It certainly did look as if magic had been at work, for quiet Plumfield was transformed into a busy little world. The house seemed more hospitable than ever. Refreshed with fresh paint, added wings, well-kept lawns and gardens, and a prosperous air it had not worn when riotous boys swarmed everywhere, and it was rather difficult for the bears to make both ends meet. On the hill where the kites used to be flown stood the fine college with Mr. Lawrence's munificent legacy had built. Busy students were going to and fro along the path once trodden by childish feet and many young men and women were enjoying the advantages that the wealth, wisdom, and benevolence could give them. Just inside the gates of Plumfield, a pretty brown cottage, very like the dove coat nestled among the trees on the green slope westward, Lori's white-pillared mansion glittered in the sunlight. For when the rapid growth of the city shunt and the old house spoiled Meg's nest and dared to put a soap factory under Mr. Lawrence's indignant nose, our friends immigrated to Plumfield, and the great changes began. Quote, so essentially... There, it's kind of developing into a little college town, and it's become much bigger than just a school for 12, 12 boys. So we get a summary also of where the boys have been after these 10 years, particularly our, our major characters. Um, but they're all kind of mentioned here. So uh, Franz, who is one of another one of the nephews of Mr. Bear, is a merchant in Germany. Emil has become a sailor. Dan who we need to pay attention to, has been wandering around the world. He's been in South America, Australia, and California. Nat uh, is studying music at the conservatory and preparing to go to Germany to finish his, his education. Tom, uh, now he was... Tom. Tommy was a bit of a... We, we kind of got the sense in Little Men that he'd become like a businessman. Um... And in fact, he's going on to study medicine instead. Um, partially, this is we see his close relationship with Nan, who's also going into medicine. Jack, uh, he's the character who stole the dollar in Little Men and became little one of the really key plot points in that novel. That showed, like, especially Dan's character when he when he stood up for his friend and took the blame to protect his friend. And Jack was the real crook well he's going into business so he was kind of the one i mean it, it's he came from a family that cared a lot about money and was very penny pinching and he kind of took that with him into plumfield and and that was kind of his main contribution to that novel is to bring that well he's going into business so uh dolly stuffy and ned three other characters are all studying law in college now, two characters I, I mentioned a lot. I, didn't, I guess I didn't say a lot about them because there wasn't that much to say about them. But I, but I did mention a couple times that I was really impressed that Alcott put these characters into the novel. This was Dick and Billy. Both of them had d disabilities. One had developmental uh, and, and difficulties and learning disabilities, and he couldn't really learn to read and write. And the other had a physical handicap. Alcott unfortunately kind of kills these characters off and even does it in a, a rather insulting way almost saying like life who could have you know they were lucky because they didn't have to live out their lives with these horrible conditions so that's rather unfortunate so kind of the goodwill Alcott was building up in me in Little Men for introducing these characters they just kind of get washed away here I think she didn't want to deal with these characters so she just had them killed off but you know we'll have to wait for other writers to really take seriously 
um, the, the issues of, of disability. So Demi uh, and Daisy. Demi and Daisy are the children of, of Meg and Mr. Brooke, who dies in Little Men. These are the first kind of next generation kids we get in Little, all the way back in Little Women. So Demi, the male, the boy, has gone to college with the goal of opening, with going to study theology. And as for Daisy, let's see if we have the description. Quote, the girls were all flourishing. Daisy, as sweet, as domestic as ever, was her mother's comfort and companion. Josie, at 14, was the most original young person full of pranks and peculiarities, the latest of which was a passion for the stage, which caused her quiet mother and sister much anxiety as well as amusement. Bess had grown into a tall, beautiful woman, looking several years older than she was, with the same graceful ways and dainty tastes with which little princesses had for rich inheritances of boys and fathers and mothers' gifts, fostered by the aid love and money could give. But the pride of the community was Naughty Nan. So Naughty Nan was a bit of a tomboyish character. She was someone Joe brought in partially because she reminded her, reminded her of herself, but also she wanted something to temper the boy. She thought all the boys in the school were going to be problems. Now Daisy, Josie, and Bess are all like kids of the family, kids of the Marsh family, uh, and the Bears and the and the Lawrences. So they're all the kids, the cheering grandkids. But Naughty Nan was brought in to the community. And she very early on was identified as someone who'd be interested in medicine and something that Joe identified about her. And indeed, she is going on to study Nan. So that makes Tom, Tommy and Nan the two medical students. And they had a childhood attraction and there was kind of this groundwork laid up for them getting together. Uh, now, that's not what's going to happen here. And it's, it's very much going to parallel what happens in Little Women where with Joe and Lori, how kind of all the readers are going to expect they are going to get together. And in the end, that's not how it ends up. But at this point, they're still kind of seen by everyone as the two that are going to get together. But they are bounded by friendship and love. And so they're either coming to Plumfield or they're kind of still hanging around Plumfield because that's where they live or whatever. But it's really Nan and Tom who sort of arrive first. And they share stories about their past and, and medical school and all that. And the older people talk about the virtues of each of the younger kids and make suggestions about where they may end up eventually. Um, so in Little Men, we got a lot of gardening metaphors and symbols. In this chapter, we find this maritime theme is much stronger. So instead of being about planting seeds and seeing them mature, the, what we get here is the story of, of venturing out and coming home and, and kind of, and this is, this is, of course, a metaphor for growing up. If gardening is a metaphor for education, going to sea is a metaphor for kind of growing up and becoming an adult and independent. And that becomes, of course, a major theme of, of novels like this, coming of age sort of stories. And I think this is, this is Joe saying this, I know it and hope I shall be able to pull them through and land them safely. But it's an awful responsibility for they will come to me and insist that I can make their poor little loves run smoothly. I like it though, and make it such a mush of sentiment she revels in the prospects. And Lori says, be prepared for every sort of romance and rashness for the next 10 years, Joe. Your boys are growing up and will plunge headlong into the sea of worse scrapes than any you have yet seen. And it's not surprising that we have a character who is, in fact, a sailor and is going to venture out. So, in fact, we have two sort of frontiers here to suggest in this novel. One is the West and one is kind of the maritime frontier. 
and at a time that America was rising to be a dominant empire in the world, both by conquering the West and the native people that live there and settling it and bringing capitalism to that area of the world. They're also becoming much more of a dominant maritime force, right? Starting to become more active in Hawaii and the China trade and, and all that. And, and, you know, this is this is written just 10 years before the United States will conquer the Spanish colonies in the Pacific. So um, that shows up along with some of the other boys who stayed more close. Uh, Emil's been out seen. I think he comes kind of later. But they all show up in the earlier chapters, so it's kind of a full reunion. Mr. Baird gives Nat's notes to help him on his travels to Germany. Um, especially we're going to get, he's going to have references and people he can talk to and, and friends of Mr. Bear that he can contact with. So they're doing, a, they're like pointing a lot of favors for Nat to really help him get started. And that's important to, to remember. We also, it's also revealed, which was something that was hinted at in Little Men, but not fully developed because they were so young. But that's Nat is revealed, this musician is revealed to be in love with Daisy. And this is something that, Meg Brook, Meg March, um, all the way back from Little Women, doesn't like because she's Daisy's mom and, quote, she would not hear of giving her dear child, girl to anyone but the best men to be found on the face of the earth. She was very kind, but as firm as such gentle souls can be. And Nat fled for comfort to Mrs. Joe, who always espoused the interest of her boys heartily. Now, one thing we get in this novel quite a lot is talk of feminism. And in a sense, even Plumfield itself is becoming a center of feminist activity and feminist thought. And there's a lot of these just things thrown in, which you, you can tell kind of Alcott is trying to make a push for women's rights. And this is the time of the new woman. And, you know, there were some states by the 1880s that had women's suffrage already. So this idea of the rise of women is, is certainly a theme in this, this particular story. Quote, well, my dear, that is an old-fashioned belief, and it takes some time to change it. But I think a woman's hour has struck, and it looks to me as if the boys must do their best, for the girls are abreast now and may reach the goal first. So this is a, a, really a, a discussion about the rise of women. Now, we, we learn that Joe has become a fairly successful novelist, and, and we get a, Alcott gives a bit of a lesson here, maybe autobiographical. Uh, about the importance of diligence and hard work and patience and you know she we we know all the way back from little women that she wanted to be a writer but then in little men we find that she's a, a teacher and running this school well what happens to her writing career well it's kind of drawn back and we, we get a picture of it and she even alcott even says at one point where is it all manner of happiness, peace, and plenty came in those years to bless the patient writers, hopeful workers, and devout believers in the wisdom and justice of him who sends disappointment, poverty, and sorrow to try the love of hearts and make success the sweeter when it comes. The world saw their prosperity, and kind souls rejoiced over the improved fortunes of the family. But the success Joe valued most, the happiness that nothing could change or take away the few, few knew much about. So the lesson here is that she kind of had to work hard and be patient before she finally got her success. But it seems the family's doing quite well now, quite wealthy. So they're far away from the, the poverty of, of the previous books, especially Little Women. But even Plumfield has kind of rose to almost be a college. 
So after catching up on what Joe's been up to, we get the final. We finally get the return of Dan, the long-awaited return of Dan to Plumfield, and he's he's really the centerpiece of both Little Men and, and Joe's Boys. He's the most exciting character. He's the one who kind of has the most completed story, actually. And I'll get to that next episode because I won't be able to do it in this one. But he comes and he's sharing stories about his time as West out in the West, and this is the first examination of race. Really, we get in all of Little Women's books. And it's, we're introduced to Indians through Dan's eyes. And this is, it's just, I'm just mentioning it because it's the only time really race that I noticed comes up at all, really. There's, I mean, the first novel is set during the Civil War and Reconstruction, and there's no mention at all about, I don't even think any black people show up in the novel in any sense. They're not even talked about. Poverty and class are certainly talked about, and gender is a big thing, but race is completely ignored, and, and little men really has none of it either. But what we get here is is Dan kind of telling stories about Indians. And Joe even describes him as having Indian blood, but not due to heredity, but due to skin color. And his behavior is also partially civilized, and there's this kind of a connection between kind of his partially civilized nature and his darker skin color. So there might be something a student who wants to kind of get into that could could maybe dissect and think about a little bit. Is is there kind of a racial um, value judgment being made here about kind of about the nature of Indians? He rejects materialism of American life, and, and that's one thing that kind of sets him of the frontier. He cares little about money or profit, unlike some of the other boys who came out of Plumfield. Let's see here. Anyways, um, I'm not going to find it so quickly, but there is a, a it's right at the beginning of chapter four somewhere where Dan talks about how or reveal that Dan doesn't really care about money at all. And he only cares about having enough to live on. And this he's kind of lives day to day in this way. Now, his description of the Indian tribes is certainly uh, more interesting and very important for us again because it's really the only mention of the racial other in any of these novels which which cover over a thousand pages so for an american novel to not talk about these issues it's it's a bit striking that they come up so little maybe it has to do with the setting but or maybe alcott was a bit blinkered by it but let's hear what she says about indian sudan's experiences now the question being asked to them is is kind of how will the west will be civilized or or, or suppressed or something he says, I'm not sure the farming will succeed, and I have a strong leaning towards my old friends, the Montana Indians. They're a peaceful tribe and need help awfully. Hundreds have died of starvation because they don't get their share. The Sioux are fighters, 30,000 strong, so government fears them and gives them all they want. I call that a damn shame. Dan stopped short as his oath split, split out and his eyes flashed and he on quickly. It's just that I won't beg pardon. If I had any money when I was there, I'd given every cent to these poor devils, cheated out of everything and waiting patiently and being driven to the out, driven from their own land to places where nothing will grow. Now, honest agents could do much, and I have a feeling I ought to go and lend a hand. I know their lingo, and I like it. I've got a few thousand, and I ain't sure I have any right to spend it on myself and settle down to enjoy it, hey? So what to say about this account? Certainly he's sympathetic, and we assume Alcott is also sympathetic with, with these Indians. But it, it ends up still being a very paternalistic approach that, yeah, they're in the situation because the U.S. government has basically screwed them of their land and stolen them from them and went to war against them. But there's still this kind of overhang of, of 
the need for agents and, and kind of well-meaning policy towards Indians to help them. And now ultimately it comes down to needing charity, not independence. It's, it's not really suggested here. And that's kind of all we sort of get about Indians in this novel. I mean, I think there's a few other marginal references. Well, with everyone arrived, they all are basically enjoying this vacation at Plumfield, telling stories and, and reconnecting with each other. And Alcott continues to stab at her feminist politics uh, throughout this, this part of the novel, this first half of the novel, even making Emil, the sailor of all people, a feminist. And, you know, the issue with Emil is always, you know, kind of these moral questions of, of how will the life as a sailor affect his, his behavior and his, his treatment of others. For Dan, it was kind of his violence and for, for Nat, it's lying and honesty. Um, but so, but Emil here has become sort of a, a bit of a feminist. Where is it? Okay, he says this, bless your pretty heart, I do. When he's asked about women's suffrage, he says, bless your pretty figure heart head, I do. I'll ship a crew of girls anytime you say so. Aren't they worse than a press gang to carry a fellow out of his moorings? Don't we all need one as pilot to steer us safe to port? And why don't they share our mess afloat and ashore since we're sure to be wrecked without them? End quote. Um, so the reason he thinks women need suffrage, now maybe he's just kind of joking and flattering the women around him, but the reason he suggests this is that men need women to guide them, and he compares them to a ship's pilot. So, um, and then later on he says, I... Or is this Tom? But anyways, it, it's similar. They're, they're talking about suffrage, and several of the boys make comments, or the young men now make comments about it. Another one says, I believe in suffrage of all kinds. I adore all women and will die for them any moment if it helps the cause. Now, it's... They all kind of get to women's suffrage, or the ones who express it, kind of through their own perceptions and not really through women's... Just on, They never kind of get there just on equality. It's like either women need this power because they're leaders and they're going to send men the right direction or in Tom's case, just because he says how he adores women. So it's a bit cagey. I mean, I mean, I guess it's better than nothing um, for supporting women's right to vote. But anyways, it's, it's, it's a theme that comes up a lot in this novel and it might be interesting to, to dissect a little bit more of now, in a chapter called Last Words, it's, it's kind of an important one because Joe goes to the most important characters, the ones they're going to set off. So it's going to be Nat, Dan, and Emil. And basically give them a last education, right? They're set out back to their lives. So first she talks to Nat, mostly about his duty to live a good life. And since it's revealed he's in love with Daisy, she's basically talking to him like, this is what you need to do. This is the kind of life you want to live if you want to convince Meg to give you Daisy's hand in marriage, right? So it's really about convincing Daisy's mother of, of his worth. So that's kind of an important conversation, but it gets more interesting when she talks to Emil. Because to Emil, who's going to go be a sailor, but also an officer on a ship, she begins to remind him and talk to him about the bad habits that sailors sometimes run into. He has to be a leader now, and he has to be an officer on the ship. And she basically gives him this talking to about about morality and about about um, leadership in a way. Don't get into trouble, for even Uncle Herman's favor won't cover insubordination, you know. 
You have proved yourself a good sailor. Now be a good officer, which is a harder thing, I fancy. It takes a fine character to rule justly and kindly, but you'll have to put put by your boyish ways and rem remember your dignity. That will be excellent training for you, Emil, and sober you down a bit. No more skylarking around here, so mind your ways and do honor to your buttons. And there, there's more they talk about, but it, it comes down to really moral straightness. And then when she talks to Dan... This is the most serious talk because Dan is the most complex of these characters. He's the one who has really violent, uh, a violent background. He's the most rebellious and he's going to the frontier. At least Emil's in a position of leadership on a ship where there's discipline. Dan's kind of going out, you know, in a place where his wild heart may be least likely to be tamed. And she gives him the advice of being religious and she thinks that will tame his wild heart. And I think she gives him a Bible or asks him if he has a Bible and, and you know, and he does take a Bible with him when he goes west. He's compared to a tamed horse that may explode at any time into wildness. And then we're reminded, if we read Little Men, that one of the important chapters for Dan's development in that Chet novel was his taming of a wild horse. And here he is, he's compared to a, a wild horse. So before Alcott lets us pick up the story for our boys and, and, and our young men and learn to the t if they take Mrs. Bear's advice, we then follow this up with four down chapters in Plumfield, which kind of cover the fall of, of that year. And it just follows the characters around that remain. Now, compared to the high stakes we're going to see in later chapters, this part of the novel seem, might seem a little bit dull. But actually, on second look, a lot of things of consequence happen. And a lot of it is kind of wrapping up characters and, and getting them out of the way. And, and much of the rest of the novel kind of does that. Most of the themes, though, in, this, in these chapters are about growing up and facing grown-up troubles. Now, even if they're not halfway around the world, like other characters are going to be, they are still facing grown-up troubles. So in one chapter, Ted is... Bit, now, these are uh, the kids of Mr. and Mrs. Bear, the biological kids of them. They're, what, Ted is bitten by Rob's dog, and although cared for by Nan, and they kind of cover up the wound, the wound eventually becomes visible, and Joe intervenes, and there's this effort to try to get to the truth and and so it's about lines about conflict between brothers it's about not letting this accident affect their long-term relationships now ted and rob are a little bit younger so this is still a little bit not quite a full adult problem but it's it's kind of an important moment in that, those characters So we get a nice little reflection by Joe at kind of how her boys are growing up. When she turned to Rob, who smiled at her so cheerfully that she felt reassured, but something in his face struck her and she saw what it was that made him seem older, graver, yet more lovable than ever. It was a look pain of mind as well as body brings and the patience of a sweet submission to some inevitable trial. Like a flash, she guessed that some danger had been near her boy and the glances she had caught between the two lads and they had confirmed her fears. So that, that's kind of all that happens. And then it's, it's, you know, just a little side story about these characters. Now, in another chapter, we have Josie playing mermaid at 
Rocky Nuke, which is, I think that's the same place that kind of Beth would always kind of hang out. It's kind of a beach area. She's with the Lawrences, so it's Lori, Amy, and Bess. And she's thinking about becoming an actress. And she must make a choice. Basically, what does she stay in school or does she join a troop? And she's kind of facing this moment where she has to decide. And she meets a, an actress, Mrs. Cameron, who's, who's living nearby the beach. And she actually talks to Josie a lot throughout this chapter. So the advice that finally comes from Mrs. Cameron, in fact, the chapter is, is cute. It's called Josie Plays Mermaid. Um, and basically, this actress doesn't tell her to run off and join the nearest troop she can. She tells her, no, you should go back to school. Now, the next important event chapter is called The Worm Turns. And here, Tom reveals to Joe that he's engaged to someone, and it's not Nan. And this is kind of a big surprise for everyone at Plumfield because everyone assumed that Tom and Nan would eventually get together. They're both studying medicine. They were kind of childhood sweethearts. It's a young woman named Dora that he meets. And he has come to terms with his feelings for Nan and the status of their friendship. And it's very similar to how Joe and... In fact, there's a lot of parallels between Joe and Lori in Little Women and Nan and... Not Nan, but... Yeah, Nan and Tom in this story. Because Tom ends up marrying someone who's quite different than Nan. And Nan's a lot like Joe, tomboyish, wants to be a professional, you know, is interested in education, very assertive about her role in the world, not willing to accept just the traditional female role granted by society. And Tom is, you know, a bit of a troublemaker, very worldly, kind of fun-loving, kind of like Lori was too. And you have here this relationship that's really grouped on friendship, but it's not really the foundation for a marriage. And so Tom ends up with someone else. And I find it interesting that like with Mrs. Bear and Mr. Bear and Joe who end up marrying, the point is you should marry kind of your friend. You should marry someone who's intellectual equal, but also someone who's at the core friend. Don't care about gallantness and, 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 and desire so much. Focus on friendship. She's very much like Mary Wollstonecraft when she talks about this or the way it's presented. And here, that's kind of the relationship you see between Tom and Nan, actually. But instead, Tom goes and marries the more the woman who kind of uh, gets his heart going a little bit more. So it's, it's a little bit more of old-fashioned coupling uh, compared to what we see with Joe and, and Mr. Bear. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to compare in more detail these two relationships. And this mostly finishes up Tom's stories. And, and this is the nature of the book, is that you know, she doesn't have much time to, and there's like, like 50 characters by this point. And, you know, if you add little women and, and little men and the few characters who are introduced in Joe's voice, not, not many, I think there's just a few that they were kind of like babies or toddlers and in little men like Josie is one of these, but they grow up. Um, and now they're more, they got a bigger role to play. But we kind of introduced, she's only got like 10 chapters at this point to finish up all these storylines. So we'll, character will be introduced, they might have a little development, and then they're kind of dropped from the novel. And that's just kind of the nature of this type of story. So it has a very much like an epilogue quality. Maybe we could actually look at Joe's Boys as, as kind of an epilogue to the whole trilogy. So in the next chapter, Demi talks, now Demi's a bit older by this point. He, he must be almost 20 or or. 23, 24, I'm not sure. 
But Demi talks to his mother, Meg, about his future, and he explains that he has a desire to work in a book printing shop, and that's what he wants to do, and he's ready to start his career. And so she has, he has this very adult and mature conversation with his mother about going on and becoming a, a book binder. And the chapter that that's in is called Demi Settles. So that, that kind of wraps up Demi's character a little bit. So that kind of takes us halfway through Joe's Boys. It's a little bit more than 100 pages, uh, but the novel itself was, I think, 250. So I had to kind of, I didn't want to do three chapters, three episodes on, on Joe's Boys. Um, what kind of themes do we have in this part of the novel? Well, certainly individualism is being rooted in community. I, I think this relationship between the community of Plumfield and family and how individualism springs from that. Not, not, it's not antagonistic to it. It's not people rebel against their community that they come from and that's how they become an individual that, that's a very shallow type of individualism you know and you especially see this with the character dan who is the most individualist of these characters he really needed plumfield as the foundation for his life and his values and it's from there that your individualism spreads and we see characters again and again coming to have to make adult decisions and 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 make you know and face adult things you know something like who are you going to marry or what kind of job are you going to take? Or, or, you know, Josie is actually a very interesting case because she has to make this, she's still rather young, but she has to make this very important choice. Do I, do I go to school or do I, is that a risking kind of my future as an actor? You know, and especially with actors, you know, I think even today, I think a lot of actors probably have this, this conflict about, you know, how much do you invest in your education and how much your career? Certainly baseball players nowadays have this problem. That's, it's my understanding one reason why when they're drafted they get such big bonuses is because you're you know the team's basically telling you take a risk on baseball but you know we, we have to give you something because you're, you're going to be most likely turning your back on college so these are very important decisions but they're made from the foundation of a strong community and family and friendship and i think too often we look at individualism as something that's antagonistic to our institutions and to a degree maybe institutions the wrong word but our community and our society that we come from another theme here is coming back home uh returning to your community right you you go off as an individual but you always have a place to come back to it's a bit sentimental but it's it's there in this novel it's there in little women and little men too we have a little bit on love and romance of course we have characters who are at that age where they start to think about marriage more seriously and we find not all childhood romances blossom into, into marriages. In fact, they rarely do. Finding the right fit, whether it's romantic or, or career-based, you know, is, is another sort of theme here. Um, but the, the, the fact that morality is a bigger challenge in adult life, especially for boys, I, I think... Like, I don't remember morality being as big an issue in Little Women. I mean, there's some, but it's really hit in this book that these are, you know, these characters are going to face life and death morality issues. Um, and it's not directly talked about, but, you know, even when this conversation with Emil, you get a little bit of a hint of, of kind of this, the danger of, of sexual temptation, especially because he's going to be off at different ports and, and away from his love. And... For especially these young men, these, there's these greater challenges to be moral as an adult than to be moral as a child. In, in little men, there were moral questions, but it was like, who stole the dollar, right? Or do you take responsibility for this or that? The, these challenges that these boys are going to be facing are much stronger. But again, they still have to be rooted. 
they face those with the lessons they learned at Plumfield. And I, I think that's um, Alcott's main point in, in this novel. Um, so that does it for the first half of, of Joe's Boys. So if you've read Joe's Boys, uh, let me know what you thought of it. If you have any you know, answers or, or questions or, or thoughts about what I've said. If you've just read Little Women and haven't read Joe's Boys and, and, and still have responses, I I'd love to hear them. Um, is this a, quite a, one of the, another one of these novels you read as a kid but maybe came back to? Um, I'm, I'd be curious about your experiences. I, I've only read Little Women before. This is my first time really reading Joe's Boys and Little Men, so it, it's a new experience for me. Um, so, but, you know, please leave your comments. You can email me at 100pagescast at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from you. So uh, that'll be do it for now. I'll be back, you know, you know, in a little shortly with the other half of Joe's Boys, and, and we'll wrap up this, this series on Louisa May Alcott. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. But a golden cord is severed And our hopes in ruin lie We shall meet, but we shall miss him There will be one vacant chair We shall live